Hey, folks, thank you for listening in. This is Edward Salaya, your host of the Point Being podcast. We're doing something a little special today because we cannot be in our offices and therefore have no access to our recording studio. We are recording this over Zoom from our homes. And I am joined by our education reporter at the Daily Star, Danielle Kamara. Danielle, how are you today? doing fine i'm doing fine just um taking a break from my dinner to to zoom with you and do this podcast well there we go hopefully this is uh this is something that's just as appetizing as whatever i interrupted you oh yeah no i'm happy to take a break it's it's my own fault that i screwed up that timing but um yeah timing has no meaning these days exactly it's just the day and night it's a circadian cycle it's exactly So I guess I wanted to just start off by talking a little bit about um, some little things that definitely caught my eye in the last two weeks uh, when it comes to public schools here in in Tucson and Southern Arizona. And the big thing for me was that the beginning um, for TUSD's uh, superintendent, Gabe Trujillo, he was a little bit on the fence at first about uh, concerning just closing schools statewide. Um, Can you kind of just Tell me what his reasoning was behind that and if there were other educators and other uh, superintendents or other people in administrative positions that kind of shared his concerns. Yeah. So as far as Dr. Trujillo uh, originally not being in support of closing the schools, I feel like he was in line with pretty much everyone who was taking their direction from uh, the county health department from the governor and, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but if you think, you know, two, three weeks ago, I guess it was more than two weeks ago, but three weeks ago, um, our Pima County's interim health director was saying it was extremely unlikely that we would close schools for a number of reasons. One, because we were completely unprepared to go to remote learning. Um, you know, there's a huge digital divide across the state and Southern Arizona and, and TUSD and the other districts are uh, no exception to that. So yeah, a lot of families, even a, a good amount of teachers didn't have access to the computers, the Wi-Fi at home, the tools they needed to do uh, that, that level of remote learning. Um, another thing was how you know for a lot of people school is their childcare. people are working during the day how are they going to be able to do their jobs if they're trying to take care of their children and so that was something that pretty much everybody was in agreement with when this was starting to progress that closing the school would be uh, a, a very difficult task and i don't think anybody could have really predicted exactly the level of, um, you know, the, the, the level that this pandemic would separate us from our daily lives, everything looks different now. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was a necessity and it came to that point. So I know you touched uh, real quickly there on the, the kind of struggle to get remote learning really off the ground, get the infrastructure going. Um, can you kind of give us an update on where that is? Um, maybe even tell yeah. Uh, you know, where some some districts are succeeding, some need some help, something like that. Yeah. So uh, right off the bat, uh, pretty much every local district was 
uh, planning on doing a combination of some digital and some hard copy packets so that the people that didn't have access to internet at home or access to laptops would be able to do this hard copy work. Um, so most of the districts arrange something like that. But a number of, dis so district by district, there's a different level of um, access to internet, access to devices, um, and surprisingly enough, Sunnyside School District, which is one of the poorer school districts in Pima County, already had a lot of the infrastructure in place for students to be doing remote digital learning. And that's because they invested money a while back to issue all their fourth through 12th graders laptops. So all those kids already had laptops and them and their teachers were already accustomed to using Google Classroom, to using that online learning space, which was a real uh, learning curve for a lot of educators in other districts, even just starting to use Zoom, starting to use Google Classroom, all these different platforms that two, three weeks ago, we had never, many of the educators had never <laughs> even heard of. I didn't Zoom, yeah, yeah. Zoom. Right, totally, but now totally. it's a verb now, you know, in two weeks. So, um, and uh, as well, TUSD has made some huge moves to start getting their student body digital. They're spending $3.1 million to get all the, um, I believe it's a Google Chromebooks that they're getting for their entire student body that doesn't already have some kind of device in the home. And mm -hmm. so you have to remember too that, this isn't just, you know, every home needs a laptop. This is every child needs a laptop. So mm -hmm. if you have, the, you know, the digital divide affects families differently. If you have four children, uh, you need four laptops. And not only that, but you need high-speed internet to accommodate all those kids doing their Zoom classrooms at the same time. So it really is a very complicated thing to get everybody into the digital learning space. And it's something that all the districts are really working hard at doing. So it's, it's what, what I'm hearing too from that is that it's not then just infrastructure for the schools that they need to get out there and that there's a learning curve there, but it's for the state level as well. Um, that there's, there's just a, a curve um, that needs to be met. That's uh, yeah, it's statewide. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's a state. It's just, I mean, the digital divide, it's not unique to Pima County by any means, it's statewide, and mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's a problem in many states, but um, yeah, and you know, maybe something good that may come at the end of this is that maybe we'll help to kind of gap that digital divide a little bit by getting people access to internet and to devices who didn't have it before. Hopefully, hopefully. So another kind of issue in that same vein, uh, my dad is actually a public school teacher at a high school up in Phoenix. Uh, and uh, up, up to about 75% of the students that go to that school are on free or reduced lunch program. Um, and so a lot of times that might be the only two meals that, the, that those children are getting uh, during their day. A lot of their nutrition is coming from that, those meals. Can you kind of talk about, I know you had a story a few weeks ago that you've been updating as, it's, as things have been progressing about what school districts here in Southern Arizona have been doing to meet that food demand, that food scarcity. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, for students? Yeah, so when the closures were announced, that was the first story that I started working on. And the first local school district that really jumped on that need was Flowing Wells. And they, that Monday morning, which was the first Monday after the closures were announced, the night before, um, and many of the local school districts were on spring break, but Flowing Wells was not. And they had food service giving out to-go meals at every single one of their schools. That Monday morning, they had breakfast, they had lunch, and all the other districts since then have uh, created their own version of this. Many of the districts are have a few school sites where they're handing out food, but other districts are also starting to deliver food. TUSD has for, I wanna say maybe a couple weeks now already, at least more than a week, they've had a bus route that's t delivering food to 113 spots wow. around the district. And actually, so originally uh, the children had to be present, and this is food for anybody who is 18 or younger, that does include 18 year olds, and they don't have to be a student in the district. Originally the children had to be present because of federal guidelines or federal law because that food service is funded with federal funds, but TUSD apparently got a waiver so parents can just go and pick up those yeah. meals for their kids mm -hmm. without the kids having to be there. So yeah, I pretty much right now, every district has some form of that going on. And we do have a big list that we're updating. Actually, Veronica Cruz with our sister public this is Tucson has been diligently updating that list and we were just talking about that before that you can put that in the show notes so that people yes, can go most and definitely and see where's the closest place to them where they can get food for their kids breakfast and lunch that's a great resource and thanks for bringing that up too there are a lot of great resources that we've got at the daily stars website uh, including what you just mentioned uh, where you can go to to get food for pickup or, or delivery. Um, so really, please, folks, if you're listening to this, just check out the Daily Star. We've taken down the paywall for stories like that and resources like that because we we're just really wanting to serve the community in the best way we know how. So yeah. um, some other other questions I have really have to relate to like teachers and staff. What are you what are you hearing from them? What what kind of reactions? Obviously, we mentioned the learning curve of getting over uh, distance learning and uh, um, everything yeah. like that. But are they still release, receiving their regular paychecks? How, how, how are things working for them on that end? Yeah. So pretty much all regular district employees are still getting paid the same as they were before. As far as I know, um, that was the agreement that um, was put into law that mm -hmm. um, the state lawmakers passed and Ducey signed into law that as long as they're working, they're still getting paid. So their jobs obviously look different. There are people who are still going into the schools, the people that are preparing the meals, the bus drivers, I believe there's security still in the schools. There's people that are cleaning and sanitizing the schools. I've heard that some monitors have been going in and helping with things like sanitizing, preparing food, things that they weren't doing before. Whereas the teachers for the most part are working remotely, teacher aides are helping with that remote work. 
-hmm. And actually right now I'm working on a story specific to special education that should be out later this week or this weekend. Perfect. And um, talking even about some of those support specialists, so psychologists, even uh, people like occupational therapists are doing remote work with students. They're um, meeting with students over Zoom and kind of just the way that the story I'm working on goes into the way that they can actually, they're not, can't do occupational therapy remotely. Who knew? <laughs> so really, uh, <laughs> these educators are just figuring out ways to do their jobs really just hitting the ground running. Um, you know, one group of people who I'm hoping that I will have a chance to write about this in the next couple of weeks, who really have lost their jobs, as is what I've been hearing, are the substitute teachers. Mm, so, yeah. and I don't want to say that's across the board because I haven't done all my reporting yet, but I have spoken to a number of substitutes who they just don't have the work anymore. Um, you know, apart from long-term subs, I know that long-term subs were included um and the people that were going to continue to get paid but those short-term substitutes are as far as i know struggling for work right now so um that's a group of people that this has really affected yeah it's it's kind of funny the second order effects that kind of have come out of this those are that's a job that i would have never even like when when i heard schools were closing like oh yeah that th those those folks that's that's a job that they would have um, right. and that's, it's just kind of the insidiousness of all of these closures and right. really the effects of the, the coronavirus COVID-19. It snowballs. Yeah. One thing An after the next. Another thing I didn't think of because it's been longer than I've been out of high school now than I ever spent in it, um, was about prom and graduation and those sort of milestones that really have been robbed from this year's graduating class. Yeah. Wrote a great story in this Sunday's paper. And that was the, I believe it was our April 3rd, April 3rd. What, I don't know what day we're at now. Right yeah. Now. yeah. Days have no meaning, but yeah, yeah it was Sunday. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about what you're hearing from the student side of things, especially when it pertains to those just, you know, once in a lifetime sort of moments that they're not going to yeah. experience. So the thing you have to understand is it's not just that these kids are missing out on prom or missing out on the graduation ceremony. And I do need to add the caveat that most of these districts are looking at postponing a lot of these ceremonies. So perhaps the kids will in time be able to have something like this. We just don't know when this is going to end, but gotcha. it's not just that they're missing out on these ceremonies they're missing out on the end of 13 years of school. So these kids, so many of them were headed into spring break thinking they were gonna see their friends in a week, see their teachers in a week, and then finding out that they may never see their friends again. Like some of the kids I talked to, their friends are, are signed up to go to college. I spoke to a young woman who is signed up to ship off to the army in the beginning of July. And she already had her prom dress hanging in her closet. And for her, you know, it doesn't matter if there is a postponed prom, if it, unless it comes before July 5th, she won't be able to go. And so it's more, you know, not for the kids, but for their parents, it's, they will never have those memories of the end of high school. They won't have 
those photos that is really a tradition, a huge tradition in our culture throughout they won't have those photos to show their kids. Um, you know, so, I mean, that story was heartbreaking. That said, I feel like the kids I talked to, they really just had a lot of deeper understanding of like the bigger picture of the moment, the moment that we're in. And despite the fact that they're going to miss out on these milestones that are so important in our culture, they're living through a really historic time. So they're resilient kids. <laughs> that's for sure. That's It's heavy because like, you know, I just try to put myself into those sort of shoes or what, or think of what I was like at that time. And I would be so frustrated to me. It would be almost like, I feel like now I have a little bit more rational sense of like, right. I understand why, you know, we've got to close schools, but at that time I, I might be a little bit angry, you know? Um, at 17, I mean, you got to realize most of these kids have been watching their older friends, watching their older peers graduate year after year, thinking it's going to be my turn soon, watching their older siblings. And so, yeah, it's, they feel robbed of this experience that they've been waiting for, for at least for the last four years, if not longer. It's, it'll almost, it'll always go down in like history as kind of like the skipped over, like kind of forgotten class. and The class of 2020. But that's yeah. the interesting thing to me is that they will be the most remembered class. Yeah. Because they were the class that came of age during the coronavirus pandemic. It's an interesting time we're living in. Um, it is. Last question is, I know that you are a mother too, that you have a teenager in your house Number one, how is your mental stability and how, how's everything kind of holding together? Thank you for asking. Yeah, everything definitely. is going okay. <laughs> I feel very lucky that I have one child who is a teenager because he mostly can handle it on his own. Um, so yeah, everything's going fine. I'm trying to check his assignments when I can, and that doesn't always happen. So <laughs> now I feel like we all need to kind of do what we can and remember to be gentle with ourselves. Now is not the time to be superheroes, but to just do the best we can every day. And that's what I tell myself. And that's what I tell my son. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for coming on. This is obviously an experiment uh, in the, in the making. And I really appreciate you coming on and coming out and going out here uh, and letting everybody kind of, into into your life and letting everybody know about what's going on in Southern Arizona with our public schools. Uh, yeah, anytime. Thank if, you for having me, and uh, thanks for letting me talk about my work. And definitely talk as, about these issues. As this thing keeps going on, hopefully we can have you on in another week or two. Absolutely. But yeah, so uh, for the Point Being podcast, I'm Edward Salaya. I just want to remind everybody the views expressed in this are not necessarily those of Lee or Gannett Enterprises. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.